Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia welcomes you to our weekly time of worship and study of God's Word with Pastor Jesse Wagoner. So sit back, relax, and get comfortable, because when you're here, you're home.
Hallelujah. You may be seated. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, we are going to finish out, Lord willing, chapter 10. And as I shared with you last week, chapter 10 in Hebrews is a pivotal, uh, pivotal spot in this book. If you've been with us, you, you kind of get the theme, okay? He's talking in the first chapters that we've looked at, and this is, we've been at it a long time, but we've looked at how Jesus is superior to all of the Old Testament imagery, the Old Testament system. It, was, it had a purpose, which was to picture, to be a, an image, a preview, if you will, of what Jesus was going to accomplish. And now he's pivoting from those things that they saw as far as the sacrifice and the temple and all that to things that we believe. And that's the reason I've entitled this one as we look at it, and you'll see it right in the text, that we are to be living by faith. And we slip into that theme in chapter 10. We see it very clearly in chapter 11 where faith is divine, defined and then faith is, is, is seen in the lives of all these people in the Bible. And uh, so a lot about faith. So living by faith. Now, a while back, I, I, I love watches. must be my age. I know a lot of the, the generations after me do not wear watches. And they grew up with a cell phone that has the time on it, so you don't need a watch, I guess. But I love watches, and I have a little collection. I've collected them over the years, and some have been gifts, and some of them I've saved up for. Well, recently I took a real plunge, and I now have a smart watch. Okay, and I, I just I didn't know if I'd like it or not, but uh, uh, I, I, it's interesting. And one of the reasons I got it was because it will track some of your fitness goals and your, your health and that sort of thing. It, it can tell you, I can tell you right now how many beats a minute my heart's beating and I seem fairly relaxed actually and how many steps I've taken throughout the day and, and all these sorts of things to track that sort of thing. And uh, like if I do exercises, it can, exor it can recognize the movements of what I'm doing. You're walking and it starts counting them. It'll plot your course of a walk on GPS. So I love the technology. I love the fascinating thing about it. However, I did discover one thing about my smartwatch. Right after I got it, I'm sitting in my office studying, got stuff all over my desk and just sort of minding my own business. And suddenly my, my watch vibrates and makes a little ding. It's time to get moving. So now I've got, I've, I've got, a, I, I've paid good money to be nagged to keep, to make, be active, that sort of thing. But we, it's, it's fairly easy with technology to, to measure some things about our physical life. You can measure your blood pressure, you can measure your heart rate, you can measure all sorts of things. But how do we measure that? How do we measure our life of faith? How do we measure where we are so we can take action to correct or to enhance wherever we are. Well, that's what I think we're going to see in verses 26 down through 39 today. There are three different positions that we can possibly have in relation to a life of faith. And what we want to do today is, first of all, sort of diagnose where we are so we can take corrective steps if need be. And secondly, to learn these three positions because everyone you and I have an opportunity to influence in this world is in one of these three positions as well. And depending on where they are, we approach them differently to try to bring everybody into relationship with Christ and we try to bring everybody, as God would will, into maturity in, in, in their status with, as a follower of Christ. So in relation to truth, we can be one of these three positions and we want to influence others in these as well. First of all, in verses 26 to 31, you see those who reject the faith. And I will warn you, this is going to sound harsh. It's going to sound very direct. It kind of has a little sting to it, has a little bite to it, and that is absolutely intentional. Because he's talking about those who just say, no way, I don't want to have anything to do with faith, a rejection of Christ in spite of the truth being readily available. 
Pick it up in 26. For if we willfully sin after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now this is kind of talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, and you remember that's in view. We kind of look at it with that, without that in view, so we kind of miss some of that. But uh, there were sins of, you know, you, like the day, the day of Atonement. It was basically for sins that you didn't mean to commit. You didn't like set out to do them. You just kind of slipped up and sinned. But there was no sacrificial construct that would say, I willfully did this, this, and this that was specifically directed to that. And that's what he's talking about. That's why the Old, Old Testament sacrificial system was just a picture. It was a shadow. The only permanent solution for sin is in Christ, and we'll see that in the text in just a moment. Verse 27, but a certain fearful ex expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Judgment is real. Judgment is guaranteed. Judgment is promised. Judgment is something God speaks freely about, and we should not shy away from saying it. For those who reject Christ, it is an eternity under the judgment of God. Verse 28, now back to that Old Testament system now. Any, anyone who's rejected Moses, Moses' law, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Under their system, if someone was going to be convicted of a crime, the, the evidentiary standard was you'd have two or better, three witnesses. You remember when Jesus was being in that sham trial before he was uh, crucified, they were trying to get at least two witnesses to agree because they were trying to meet that quote-unquote evidentiary status. And they couldn't even get two to agree. Finally, Jesus makes a statement. They accuse him by his own words of blasphemy, and that's how it goes because he professed to be, claimed to be the Son of God. We know that to be true. They rejected that. So when he's talking here about these two or three witnesses, and then he takes that framework of two or three witnesses and mentions three witnesses in the next verse that everyone of these hearers and everyone of the Jewish faith and everyone on some level in the world have faced it. And if you reject Christ's offer of salvation, you have been condemned by these three witnesses. Look what he says. 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be, will he be thought worthy who has, first one, trampled the Son of God underfoot? That's the first witness, the Son of God. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified a common thing, the blood of Christ, and insulted the spirit of grace. God's person, Jesus' sacrifice, and the grace that was displayed. He's saying, if you say, no, I don't want to believe in salvation through Christ, you're basically trampling under. You're counting as just something very casual, something unimportant. And you're rejecting, as he says, you've insulted the spirit of grace. In other words, you stand condemned. It's revealed by the word of God. It's verified by these three witnesses. And then God gives this warning that he quotes here. And by the way, he's going to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And uh, also he's going to, uh, some of these quotes come from 17 and 19 of Deuteronomy. So he's pulling out little excerpts here. But here in 30 he says this. For we know him who said, here's the quote. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I really can't add anything to that other than say those words are true and they are solemn. The first position someone could be in is to be someone who is rejecting the faith. 
that is not the people he's writing to because he's going to say later uh, that we are not part of this. It says that in verse 39. So believers are in a different category. Judgment is only those who have rejected the witness of Christ's blood, Christ's person, the grace of God, those sorts of things, and, and they are lost without Christ. It's as simple as that. And it is a fearful thing, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What should be the response here? Number one, if that's you, it's not my intention to scare you unnecessarily, but it is my intention to tell you what God says, and frankly, that should scare you because judgment will come. The great news is, if that is you this morning, in an instant, everything can change. If you will recognize that I'm a sinner, it separates me from God, we all are, and then I need to come to this place that I say, I believe that Jesus dying on the cross, being raised again the third day, through that transaction, even though, Lord, it's beyond me to completely understand that, but I believe that is sufficient to save me. That's what I trust in. For by grace are you saved through faith. If we could help you take that step or clear that up in your mind, uh, Pastor Adam, we'd have, we'd have a conversation. Would I would, maybe a Christian friend you came with, a family member, but make sure you have that settled. And by the way, for those of us who know the Lord, this is our job. This is our effort. This is our push. This is what we seek to do. When we find people who are lost, we point them back to those three witnesses. What is it? He says there in the text. We just saw it. That He talks about the Son of God, who Jesus is. About his blood, as he mentions, the blood of the covenant, his death, his resurrection. And we talk about the spirit of grace, the grace that God offers. So when we run into somebody in that position, we share Christ with them. If you're in that position, you need to accept Christ. And we could help you even today with that. We'd love to. That would be thrilling for us. But then he gets to the second position, which is going to hit, for most of us, a little closer home. Because most people who have absolutely rejected the truth and the faith don't show up in churches on Sunday morning. Frankly, unsaved people are, are very good at staying away from church. Sometimes people will come in, they're curious, God's working their heart, convicting them, drawing them, maybe you've invited them, and we want to make sure we preach the gospel and share that invitation. But for the most part, most of us are not in that category. But look, at, if you will, in verse 37. I'm sorry, it is not 37. Uh, 31, sorry. 32. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured great struggling with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. A lot's packed into those verses, but this is the second category. We might be people who need to refresh our faith. Those who need to refresh their faith. There's those moments when our faith, our faith gets shaky. Doubts come in. Life does not meet our expectations things hurt. He mentions some of them that they were experiencing. He says this, you remember we've endured a great struggle with sufferings. In their day, and frankly, it's almost embarrassing for us to talk and read a passage about suffering for Christ. 
not one of us, I don't think, probably feared for our life or our livelihood showing up at a church on Sunday morning here in our place. There are places in the world that, that's different. There's certainly been times in history where it's different. So we are so blessed, at least in this time frame, at least to this point, but we have to recognize there are those who have suffered. And he says, not only that, you, you, you partly made a, you were made a spectacle. You were on display. You were called out, verse 33, both by reproaches and tribulations. He mentions later, verse 34, you had your goods plundered. The people took your possessions. They stole from you. They, 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 in a very unfair way, extracted things from you. He says, when your faith gets shaky, here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus on your past experiences. And to these people, he's saying, you know all that stuff we went through? He also brings himself into it. Whoever the writer of Hebrews is, and this is about as personal as it gets, where he says in 34, you had compassion on, on me in my chains. So this person who wrote it was arrested and in chains and bondage and jail, if you will, for their faith at some point. And uh, you, you participated, you were loving, you cared, you understood that you had sympathy and empathy with me. But what is the truth? We are still here. We are still serving. God's promises are sure. We are still believing. We're still moving forward. We're still encouraging each other. The church has not ceased to exist. And frankly, you go back through the nearly 2,000 years of the church since the day of the days of Christ, the days of the early church, from the, the Spirit of God coming on the feast day of Pentecost, as we read about in Acts chapter 2, the church has been predicted that it is out of fashion, out of style, out of date, and going out of existence sometime soon. Over and over and over and over again, that's what we have been told. We're still here. And on this Lord's Day morning, believers are meeting all around this globe, sometimes in comfortable spots like we are, sometimes maybe in a, in a very primitive place or in a house or undercover, but God's church goes on. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look back in what God has done when he saved you. Look back at what God has done where he has brought you. And when we're in a position where we need a refreshing of faith, what he calls us to do is to have this question. Lord, what have you done for me? You saved me. You made me. You sustained me. You've helped me. You've encouraged me. You've brought me back. You've forgiven me. You've restored me. And we continue on. That record of God's faithfulness seen in our lives and then extended back through the Word of God, through the, through the stories of the Bible, should bring us to this point of assurance, endurance, as he says in verse 36. That we should focus on those things moving forward. Verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. Don't give up, don't quit, don't stop, don't get shaky. You need your faith refer refreshed. Think about your experience, and secondly, you think about your expectation. For we have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He mentions in verse 34, better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. All those things are the expectation going forward. You need your faith refreshed, and probably many of us are in this category this morning. What I want to call you to do is to ask the questions and thereby to reflect on, Lord, what have you done to bring me to this point? And recount them and think about them and thank him and let it just filter through your soul once again of God's goodness. And then think about your expectation. What has God promised you that you have not received yet? How about your possessions, enduring possessions in heaven? Basically saying in 34, 
People can steal your possessions down here, but they can't steal your possessions in heaven, the glory that awaits you. And he says that you may receive this promise, the promise of being with the Lord. Need your faith refreshed? Think about your experiences of God's brought you to this point and then reflect on your expectations for the future. And if you will just put that into the pot of your thinking and cook up a nice simmering stew of God's faithfulness, you will find nourishment for your souls. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. And maybe that's what you need to do on this Lord's Day. That we need our faith refreshed because of what God has done and what God will do. And he uses this word, the last word of 36, this promise. 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He will come. I don't know when. No one else does either. I can tell you this. We're a day closer than we were yesterday, and we're moving in that direction. But he will come. He will come for you. He will come for all of us. And you and I get to spend eternity basking in the unfiltered blaze of the glory of God. Sins dealt with, all things reconciled to him. No more tears, no more crying, no more hurt, no more pain, no more dying. And then God says this, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's our expectation. Need your faith refreshed? Experience is an expectation. Reflect on that. And then 37, moving into 38 and 39, there's a third position. Those who reject faith, they need Christ or we need to tell them about Christ. There's those that, of us who need refreshed. Think about your experiences. Think about your expectations through the word and let the Lord speak to you. Thirdly, there are those who have this resilient faith. Right now, living by faith. I'm not, I'm not dealing with doubts. I'm not, not struggling too much. I'm making progress. And he comes to this statement you see here in 38. Now the just shall live by faith. That phrase is repeated four times in the, in the Bible. The first one is the back of, in the book of Habakkuk. About this time last year, we were studying through the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk makes this statement, the just shall live by faith. It's repeated in the book of Romans. The emphasis there is on just. The just, those who are right with God through faith in Jesus, the just shall live by faith. It's, it's stated in the book of Galatians. Paul uses it there where he says, the just shall, and here's the key word, live by faith. We're not living by works. We're not living by structure of, of legalism. We're living by, living by faith. And here in the book of Hebrews, the emphasis is on the last word of that phrase. The just shall live by faith. And if, you're gonna, if you want to look ahead, feel free to get into chapter 11 where he defines faith and he exemplifies faith going forward. The just shall live by faith. So if we're, those who have a resilient faith are in the present tense living by faith. Every step is taken, believing God. Every, everything that we choose to do is, is bathed in the reality that I'm trusting in Him, that my future is secure. It brings my emotions into check. It secures my soul. It gives me motivation to do what God calls me to do. The just shall live by faith. We do that by connecting to His person. He's coming. That's what it says in 37. He's coming. We continue to connect through his pleasure. Look at the end of 38. Now the just shall live by faith, and anyone who draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We should live for God's pleasure. How do we live for God's pleasure? We don't abandon our faith. We don't abandon our walk. We don't get 
we don't get sloppy in the, the disciplines of faith. And one of the disciplines that we talk about here, there's four main ones that we encourage you over and over to be involved in. These need to be part of our regular growing experience in Christ. One is to go to church. We need to be together. We saw that back in verse 25, the same chapter. We need to get alone with God. We need to be in God's word and prayer individually with him daily. We need to get busy. We need to use our gifts to serve him. And we need to also be in a group of people, even outside of our larger worship settings, to just to be living together, growing together. Those things in place, don't be sloppy in all those. Go forward with those because it's what God has pleasure in doing. And lastly, we connect with God's people and we realize who we are. Look at verse 39. I love this verse. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. That's what he talked about in verses 26 through 31. We're, that's not you. Just remember that. That's not your category. We're not part of them. But of those who believe, the just shall live by faith, who believe to the saving of the soul. You want to have a resilient faith? You just connect back to God's person. Remember he's coming. Honor him. And you, we do that a lot by coming together on the Lord's day. We connect to God's pleasure. Lord, what pleases you? What God's pleased by above all else is to live by faith, not by sight. And I'm so tempted to jump into chapter 11 and keep going, but I, I can't today. But Read ahead, okay? Be ready. Be, be locked and loaded for next week, will you please? And then lastly, we, we understand who we are. We're God's people. Back in the 60s, there was a pop group who you never probably heard of them. was known as a Canadian group named, known, known as Chad and the Reflections. And their big goal was, even though they were Canadians and they had some success in Canada, they wanted to break into the American market here in America because that's where the big money was. That's where the star was. That's where the true rock stars were, okay? And uh, they kept trying to release songs in America, and they couldn't get, it, get, get any traction. And finally they had one that was sort of a minor hit, and they found out that in America there was another group named, named The Reflections, so they became Chad and the Expressions. And they could just never quite get any traction with their recording, you know, uh, entertainment thing, you know, showbiz. Until one of their, their record labels decided they're going to send out their new record, their new single, back when records used to be records. And they sent them to all these radio stations all over America. And just to create a little interest, they just put Guess Who on the, on the label. And they kind of thought maybe they'll think, well, it's, maybe it's one of those big British bands, you know, undercover, and, and it caught a little bit of buzz, and they started playing it, and the record started catching on. So then they had a big announcement that they were now, the, the guess who were really this group called Chad and the Expressions. The uh, DJs just ignored it because it said guess who on the label. And after a while, the group just had to become known as the guess who. <laughs> and I say that to this. Sometimes we play this game of guess who with ourselves. Who am I? Who am I? Am I one of God's children or not? Am I his follower or not? Am I his servant or not? Am I part of his church or not? Am I part of the group of the fellowship of believers or not? And there's always this pull to pull us back. And, and Satan loves to whisper in our ear, guess who you really are. You're not who you think. We need to take the guessing out and we need to come to this reality that we are who we are. And who are we? We are not of those who draw back to perdition. Not going to be lost, not going to be in, under judgment, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You want to have a resilient faith? Take that verse and tuck it away in your heart. Take that truth and let it secure your soul. 
Let that flow through your thinking. Let that flow through your life. And may we be people who have a living faith. May we be people who live by faith. So, you don't have a smartphone to ding to remind you when it's time to get up and get moving uh, in things spiritual. We don't have any way to measure that, but here's the position you could be in. If you're here this morning and you've rejected faith, you need him. We'd love to help you with that. If you're around people who have rejected him, we need to be light into their world by how we live and what we say. If we're people who, are, who are, need to have our faith refreshed, we need to come back to this reality that, that, that he has got, brought us to this point in our experience and our expectation is founded on the word of God. And if we, if we long for a resilient faith or we are there, we simply remember and connect with his person, we connect with his pleasure, and we connect as his people without guessing who we might be. I just leave this with you. Bring up that next slide, if you will. Let's learn to measure our life of faith. Where do I stand? Where am I at? Do I need refreshing? Do I need resilience? Do I need to influence someone else? The just shall live by faith. You're not of those who draw back to perdition, but who are you? But those who believe to the saving of the soul. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship and study brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. If you are in the Charleston area, we would love for you to worship with us in person. For service times and more information, visit our website, calvarywv.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.